BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am the host of the Spurs Cast. Joining me on this episode, episode 538, is Project Spurs' founder, Michael DeLeon. Mike, how are you feeling right now, man? I'm feeling all right. I, I had coffee this morning. I had to pay for it so well, but uh, I'm all right, I guess. I, I saw you um, tweet something about how people were complaining yeah. about coffee. I, I didn't know that was a thing. You can just tell I'm like, it's go a, ahead. It's a big thing on Twitter today <laughs> and yesterday. Everybody was like oh, going after Circle K. I'm just like, calm down. They like, had it for free for years. Like, they just want to make some money. Now it's funny. Yeah, you can tell that mine's just like the only people I follow are like steady, like nerdy people, like with stats and everything. Yeah. Cause I don't even see that kind of that like cultural part of Senate, you know, just that, that yeah. conversation of the Spurs losses in there. All right, Mike, uh, let's go ahead and get into this uh, Spurs cast episode 583. And obviously, this is coming. You know, I put a funny um, t- t- tweet out yesterday because I knew I knew that P- fans, Spurs fans, were going to be angry at this game because of what happened, where they gave up two 19-point leads. I mean, they could have basically been going to, coming back to San Antonio with a 2-0 lead. It basically, uh, you know, almost like been on the verge of like getting this thing over with the, the, like with like a sweep or possibly five or six games. But now, and obviously, we know that we watched the game and turned around. That wasn't the case. A lot of people were very angry last night. Um, you know, especially with the Spurs giving up those two leads. So let's begin uh, just a quick little recap of what happened, and then we'll go, we'll dive into this actual conversation, um, you know, into the, the the nuts and bolts of this game of what happened for the Spurs and the Nuggets in Game 2. So the Denver Nuggets came back from two 19-point deficits to beat the Spurs 114-105 on uh, Tuesday night in Denver. The series is now tied 1-1, but the Spurs do still hold home court because they, you know, they won a game in Denver. Uh, with 4.28 left in the third quarter, here are the Spurs up by 19 points. And it looks like, you know, they're about to, to route Denver, you know, really, really put this young team um, away for the series almost basically what it looked like with, with that 19-point lead. Uh, you know, Coach Pop takes out a few of the starters, takes out specifically uh, DeMar DeRozan, um, Derek White, Bryn Forbes, and he puts in uh, Davis Bertans, Marco Bellinelli, and uh, Patty Mills along with Aldridge and Rudy Gay for, for a big stretch here. Of four minutes, and in that four-minute stretch around that time, the Nuggets go on a 16-2 run, and they cut the Spurs' lead all the way down to five. Uh, the Spurs kind of rebound at the end of the third quarter, and they go into the fourth with a seven-point lead. When the fourth starts, you know it's kind of back and forth. You know San Antonio's hanging in there with Denver. Denver's right there in striking distance. 
But then with 3.34 left in the fourth, uh, it's a one-point game. Spurs are leading by one, should I say, and then the Nuggets go on, a, on an 11-2 run. Jamal, Jamal Murray specifically goes crazy during that stretch, and all of a sudden the Spurs find themselves down by 10, and it was over. Coach Pop pulls the starters, and we know how, how it ended. Uh, the Spurs' bad row defense showed up in the second half, especially in that fourth quarter where they allowed 39 points. Jamal Murray, who had been cold all night, uh, goes for 21 of his 24 in the fourth. Just your quick initial reactions from what happened last night. It was one of those things where I felt like if you watch Jamal Murray this year, that's just kind of his thing. He'll have like cold streaks sometimes, and luckily the Nuggets have had enough depth around him. They've had guys like Morris that have been able to come in and, and spell him, or they've had uh, Jokic able to, to get in there and, and uh, make up the difference. And so it was kind of like it was going to happen. At some point, I felt like he was going to start making those shots. So basically that's what it came down to is he started making those shots. The defense had a few issues uh but even some of those shots, it seemed like he was defending well, and he was still knocking those down. So it's kind of like, what do you do in that case? Um, so, it, you know, they come out what, from Denver getting one game there, so I think you can't complain too much about that. I'm sure everybody would love for them to be coming back to San Antonio to other. Yeah, for sure. And so um, let's, re- let's really now dive into this game, Mike, um, you know, on both ends of the court. We're obviously going to start like how John and I started the other day, which is, which is defense, because this is kind of the Spurs' you know, basically life-and-death situation on whether or not they're going to win or lose ball games depends on how they play on, on defense. And, you know, they had a pretty good first quarter where they held Denver to 21, but then from there on, Denver got, you know, 20, 28, 26, and, of course, we saw that 39-point quarter in the fourth. So let's first go to the closest place, um, you know, on the floor on defense, which is the rim. Uh, Denver got about their typical amount of, of shots at the rim uh, in this game. They shot pretty well, 64%, which is 1% above their usual um, season average. Uh, they, the Spurs did a better job on the glass, on the defensive glass. Denver only got seven offensive rebounds and then also just eight second-chance points. Now, the counter-argument could be that maybe just because Denver actually shot the ball better, that's why there wasn't as many rebounds for them. Um, some guys who specifically really, really, I mean, really all four of the Nuggets' big four uh, played well in, in, the, in the areas of the paint. Paul Millsap really took Rudy Gay um, off the dribble. Davis Bertans, too, got a lot of his points um, at the paint. Six of his seven shots at the rim came from there. Um, Nikola Jokic got a mixture of, of his shots coming from at the rim. Gary Harris and Jamal Murray, they used those those really good um, backdoor screens from Jokic and, um, and those dribble handoff actions from Jokic and Millsap, and they got a lot of uh, different points at the rim, too. So, so what did you think about the Spurs' defense at the rim? I mean... I, I thought, like, especially I was looking at uh, Pirtle a lot in this game, and I thought he had done well, and I felt like even uh, LaMarcus did a, a good job at uh, on, on Jokic, and really, Jokic just, just took what he got, what the Spurs would give him. If they gave him space to shoot, he shoot If not, he kind of worked straight the offense and hit Gary Harris, like, on those, um, uh, like I said, that, uh, like, backdoor play, and, and, and he just found the players that he needed to. And I was uh, impressed with uh, Millsap having, like, a bounce-back game that he did because... He was another one, along with Murray, that kind of was lost in the first game. And it, this is just, I think, what I've seen from this team all year is when they're all healthy and when they're playing well, they, they are really deep and and they can play really good basketball. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, that's just one of those things that if they're all going, it's going to be hard to beat them regardless of how many points you're up by. Yeah, and, and those are two things that I wrote down. When you said that specifically, playing well, when they're playing well is when you just see this juggernaut Spurs defense. And, you know, there was two notes that I like to take notes by quarter during the playoffs, 
And in the second quarter, I have it right here. I, I put um, San Antonio closing off the rim, multiple defenders always clogging the lane, so Denver really couldn't get in when the Spurs were playing well in the second quarter. And then also in the third quarter, I put that Denver was being forced to take a lot of mid-range shots, too, before they went on that run that I mentioned a while ago. And Pirtle was huge in that in that regard. Lamarcus, like you mentioned, was huge. Uh, and so it's more about situational, in my opinion. Like the Spurs did play good yeah. defense at the rim, but then when it just fell apart, I mean, it just all fell apart. And, you know, they couldn't stop anyone from getting back to the rim. So now, Mike, let's move on to um, uh, the, the other area of the floor, which is now the mid-range. So the Spurs continue to, you know, do those drop-back um, plays off, their, off the pick-and-roll, off the dribble handoffs. And so they're kind of giving, conceding the mid-range to the Nuggets. So Denver took 40% of their shots in the mid-range, which is, which is 8% more than they usually want to. They shot 40.5% from there uh, during the game. Guys that had pretty good mid-range games, it was uh, Jokic did, did pretty well from there. And so did uh, Jamal Murray specifically in the fourth quarter when he got hot. He had a lot of, and like you mentioned, they were hot. I mean, they were they were they were contested mid range twos, especially with Derek White's defense there. Uh, what did you think about the Spurs' defense in that mid range area against Denver? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times, especially when you have those type of players, you have to uh, defend that the mid range and then also in the post because they they could cut and stuff like that. But I thought, like I said, I thought they had done pretty well all game. It was just one of those things where it just kind of. I mean, I think like you said it, when things go wrong, I mean, everything kind of comes unraveling. And it kind of all happened when Derek White went out of the game and the defense kind of dropped off a little bit and then it just kept on going and Rudy Gay couldn't, couldn't uh, make stops that he needed. So uh, that was just uh, tough at the worst time, really. Yeah, for sure. We're going to get into Derek White a little bit, and I'm going to actually ask you that question about whether or not he needs to play a little bit more. Uh, let's move on now to the three-point line. Uh, the Spurs did a great job in terms of not giving Denver too many three-point attempts. Typically, Denver likes to shoot 32% of their shots from three. This time, there was only 24%. But we knew that Denver wouldn't miss all those open looks in a second game in a row, and that for sure wasn't the case. The Nuggets shot 42% of this game from three, uh, you know, compared to their season average of 36%. Several Nuggets had multiple three, made multiple three-pointers. Jokic made two. Gary Harris made three. Uh, Jamal Murray made two, like we saw in the fourth quarter. And then even off the bench, Malik Beasley made two. Now, the Spurs were lucky that Will Barton still hasn't found his range. He was 0-6 from, from three-point range. Uh, for, for me, I think it's also just like when we were talking about the paint. I think with the three-point defense with the Spurs, it was more about situational when they were turning the ball over. When Denver started picking up the pace, they got more better opportunities at the three. What did you think about the Spurs' three-point defense? Yeah, and I also noticed it seems like a lot of times they would take advantage. And, and this is one thing we didn't see in game one was them in transition being able to knock down shots or take advantage. But in this game, they were able to do that in transition and knock down threes when they, when they needed to. And when they were coming, yeah, I mean, they're lucky. The Spurs were lucky that Will Barton was 06 and really has had a bad shooting such as this entire series so far. But uh, you know, Jokic, I mean, obviously he's, he can shoot, he's got that range. And uh, Gary Harris is one guy that I always thought would be the kind of difference maker or the X factor of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I wrote a preview, I was like, if, if he, because all season he hadn't, since he came back from injury, he hadn't played very well uh, or up to his level, I think. And if he was able to do that this series, then it would be kind of a, a difference maker and He's able to do that, and he's able to knock down some threes and give them that help that they need because, um, you know, without him, and then I think with Beasley, uh, then obviously the three-point shooting, uh, that that's going to be really hard for them to to do anything because all they have in that case is their pitch. And so the Spurs had done well, I felt like, and it was just some cases also where even Murray's were pretty well defended. He just knocked them down. It's like when you get hot, you get hot. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, looking at the free throw rate for Denver, they scored about three three more than they usually do in that statistic. Uh, Millsap specifically got to the line seven times, made five of them. 
Uh, Jokic made five of six free throws, and then Jamal Murray throughout the night made six of seven. Uh, some other areas that I kind of wanted to zone in on was uh, just the transition defense. This was something that I, you know, I pointed out on Twitter for like two two days straight, where it was so shocking to me that Denver didn't make any uh, fast break points on the Spurs' defense in game one. I even told John about that. Just because I know that the Spurs don't have a great transition defense, me and John kind of, kind of like laughed about it, how that's kind of the one thing Pop's always uh, uh, trying to, to focus in on for this group, and they always say, you know, they, they at least give up 14 a game. Where in game one, they didn't give up any fast break points, but of course now Denver spent, uh, picked up the pace. They got out on the, on the floor, uh, in the open floor. They, they made the Spurs turn the ball over, especially in the fourth and third quarter. And we saw that they scored 21 fast break points. Um, their transition opportunities increased from 11% in game one to 15% in game two. Uh, what did you th- how do you think, um, I guess the question is, you know, how, how much of a, that, I mean, that's, that's the first adjustment for the Spurs is, again, really watching that transition defense because if not, the, the Nuggets can just go on these runs like we saw. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, what I thought about, because obviously adjustments in the game in the playoffs are huge, and that's kind of what I thought of as, as definitely we'll see from game one or two, is we'll see Michael Malone see how he can get more transition buckets, and then I think now from two to three, we're going to see how Pop can uh, defend the transition a little bit better, because I mean, that's, that has been a weak point all season long, and so that's definitely going to be something that I think continues to kind of dictate how the series goes. Yeah, and here, here's a here's a, a question that's really not 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 amplified by stats or, or quantitative. It's more of a qualitative question. Do you think that now Denver has like kind of got a, a, a little big four now? Like where starting the playoffs, it was supposed to be Jokic and and, and Jamal Murray as their two go to to go to players. Now all of a sudden, Paul Millsap gets gets twenty points for you. Uh, Gary Harris is scoring twenty per game now, twenty three and then twenty in game one. So now is that, is that a problem for the Spurs? The fact that Mil- that Millsap knows he can score. Rudy Gay had a tough time defending him. So did Davis Bertans, and then also Harris is getting by a, a lot of the defenders, um, especially with those backdoor cuts from Jokic, and then just getting open threes all the time. Is that is that a problem for the Spurs? The fact that these two guys, who are only scored about twelve points each in the regular season, are now all of a sudden scoring close to twenty uh, in, in this last game. I think so. It's funny because I read a lot of previews to this, and everybody was like, this is a team without a superstar, and they're not going to you know, last long or anything like that. And I was just like, well, that's the thing. The thing is that they haven't, they haven't had a superstar or whatever all year, and they still competed with the Golden State Warriors for that number one spot. And they did it with so many injuries all season long. They had so many injuries. But the thing about that, of the byproduct of that, is that they were able to have players that could play bigger roles, like Morris, like Beasley, and, and now... Harris is starting to come in, and Millsap was out. He was able to come back now and start to get some momentum. So, yeah, this this team is definitely more than just those two players. And um, you know, once we start using or utilizing those bench players even more, that could be pretty scary. So, I think I think especially with as much confidence as Millsap and Harris are playing with right now, it's definitely more of kind of a big warning. Except. And not only that, I think the fact that Jamal Murray got his, you know, his confidence going too. The yeah. fact, you know, I mean, throughout the night, I, I was almost like shocked that he just kept missing all those shots throughout the game. I mean, he even missed an open dunk, and then all of a sudden, here comes the fourth quarter, and the guy could just not miss him, and he was just right on fire uh, as, as he made a lot of those contested, contested shots over Derek White. All right, Mike. So now let's let's move over to um, the offense for the Spurs. Uh, so let's go to begin closer to the rim. So frequency, uh, tw- they they're not a team that takes a lot of shots at the rim. Uh, they, they took 31% of the shots from the rim in this game, which is about 4% over their season average. Shot 63% at the, at the, at the rim. I think the, the one guy who did a great job of, of getting more involved and, and dispersed, you know, finding him better was LaMarcus Aldridge. He finishes at 24 points, uh, one offensive rebound, three assists, 40% from the floor, and just one turnover. And the Spurs did a great job of, of putting him in a lot more pick-and-roll action 
and, and getting him to, to get different mismatches. And also just, you know, when he catches the ball against Jokic or Millsap or someone, he can easily just spin around and give, and give his patented little, um, you know, jump hook. What did you think about Aldridge's uh, bounce-back performance in this one? Yeah, that was a big one because if you look at just numbers uh, after game one, you think that it's, that was all Aldridge throws and, and obviously white. But when you take a closer look and see, you know, he wasn't very successful uh, in that first game. And it was basically all volume because how many, how many shots he shot. But this one, he was a lot more, I feel like, efficient with his uh, shots and, and, you know, was really smart about the shots that he took. And seemed to be a lot more aggressive, especially against a guy as big as Jokic. It's, it's kind of crazy to see him... Uh, play like that so that, that was really nice to see and he's going to probably have to play that way the entire series no yeah for sure so so that's good again I think that the Spurs got to continue that in game three is putting him in more pick and roll action to get him uh, better looks you know on, on the switches and those mismatches and that just that, that timing for him uh, let's move on to the mid-range now um, the Spurs typically take 47% of their shots in mid-range in this game they went up to 50% now it wasn't the 66% they shot in game one uh, they shot it at 41.5%. A lot of that was DeRozan mainly. He made a lot of contested twos. You know, we talked about Jamal Murray. DeRozan made a lot of crazy shots in this game. Yeah. Uh, Derek White, of course, was just his composed, you know, doesn't look like a second-year kind of player guard who, who just makes the right plays, makes the right reads on offense. Takes, you know, if somebody gives him that mid-range shot, he's going to take it if it's, if it's open, if, if it's in his rhythm. Uh, Aldridge didn't have too good of a game from mid-range. And then, of course, we know Rudy Gay really struggled in this one. In his area of mid-range, he shot 2-9 and nine from the floor. So what do you think about their mid-range, San Antonio? Yeah, I mean, really, that, that that's definitely, especially for a team that has kind of been known for mid-range offense, that, that was kind of a worrisome to see that after the game. Um, obviously, you know, DeMar did what he's but but as well defended as he was on those, I mean, he's probably not always going to get those type of numbers if if, if they continue to team up that way. So, I mean, somebody else has got to really come through and... and uh, uh, I'm looking at Rudy Gay. I think he's got to have like a bounce back performance uh, for this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's move over to the three point line now, somewhere where the Spurs don't typically shoot from. So the Spurs uh, don't take a lot of threes. You know, 27, 27% of their shots come from the three point line, which is 30th in the league during the season. This game, they, they, they went even further down to 19% of their shots came from three. Uh, accuracy, this is actually a, this was a bad shooting night for the Spurs. They only made 28% of their threes. And typically, with this team, Pop has said it all year. Where if they don't, since they don't have a great defense, um, you know they really need to make three pointers. And in this game, they didn't do that. No Spurs player in this game made more than one three. So that's how you can tell that, that they were off. Especially the guys off the bench like Patty Mills, uh, Bertans, Bellinelli, those even Rudy Gay, who usually makes a um, pretty good amount of threes. So I, I put the bench stats together. Uh, the bench shot eight of twenty-three. The four core guys, which are, are, are Bertans, uh, Mills, Bellinelli, and Rudy Gay, they shot eight of twenty-three from the floor. For 21 points, three turnovers and 10 assists. So, so you can just tell that this is a, a really game where they, uh, the whole bench struggles. And specifically, we know that the majority of that responsibility does fall on Rudy Gay's shoulders, where he had five points, three offensive rebounds, three assists, and two turnovers on 22% shooting. What did you think about the, the three-point shooting percentage? I think that also shows when Brent Forman is knocking down shots and how, how important he is because he was one four on those on those shots on threes. And so, and you know, it, it's the bench when they go to the bench a lot of times it's Marco Rudy and Patty that carry them that area sometimes Davis but you know when they all kind of struggle a little bit I mean that's 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 their bench really so that's going to be tough especially when they struggle from deep and and like I said a couple of that with Brim's performance and it's like you can't really you can't really look anywhere else for for, uh three-point shots yeah no for sure um you know they got they basically got a hit is what you're saying what we're saying here 
Uh, free throw rate. Um, Spurs took a lot, a lot more free throws than usual. Most of that was the responsibility, the, the responsibility of Aldridge and DeRozan. Uh, Aldridge shot eight of ten from the free throw line. DeRozan shot nine and nine. And again, just getting those guys involved, getting them to the line, uh, helps out the Spurs' half court offense specifically. Uh, so, so now let's look at some some kind of questions going forward for the Spurs. I guess this is a question for both ends, and you kind of mentioned it a while ago. Is is uh, how much more can do you think Pop can give Derek White as far as playing time? Because, I mean, he only played 32 minutes. I thought he played more than that, but it was just 32. And really, I mean, I know a lot of fans, a lot of people got upset that, you know, that's kind of when they fell apart was in that third quarter when he took a break. You know, he has to rest. Eventually he had started the third quarter. But it's like, how much does should, how much do you think Pop might need to, need to push him and give him more minutes since he can, cause, cause you can just tell their defense falls apart when, he, when he's not on the floor. And also their offense falls apart a little bit because he, he's a very composed player in the pick and roll and kind of just orchestrating, getting guys where they need to go. And without that, the, the, uh, you know, Aldridge rush shots, Rudy Gay rush shots, um, you know, Patty Mills kind of, you know, he just plays a lot of energy. So what do you think, think about increasing Brent, I mean, uh, Derek White's minutes? Yeah, I mean, that's just a hard one because obviously you can't increase when it's a playoffs and it's going to be most likely looking like it might be a long series, so you don't want to tire a guy out like that. But um, I think it's going to be kind of situational depending on how where they're at in the game. But at the time that he went out, it seemed like they had a comfortable lead, but then as soon as as soon as soon he went out, then there's like a turnover, and then you know they go on this crazy rally. So it's kind of like, okay, so maybe when things, uh, you know, get that bad, that's when you got to bring him back in. And I don't know, maybe try to push him to about 35 or so, but... Even so, you just really, you just really know, never know. You've got to kind of see where he's at and see where the team is at because I don't think anybody could have expected that it was gonna, you know, it was gonna get that bad that quickly. And then at that point, it was kind of like, what else can what, what else can you do about their making shots? And um, even the defense wasn't terrible at at points, and they were still making those shots. So um, that's 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 a tough one. But maybe when he does go to the bench, I mean, you've got to have somebody else out there that can play D. Or somebody else that uh, can can handle the ball a little better. I'm I'm not sure what the answer is really. That's kind of pops gonna have to figure something out. Yeah, exactly. So so I think that it's like one thing they they could try to do is probably you're right increases minutes. I think maybe like 35 to 38 might might be possible. Um, probably probably not not 40 on a, on a coach pop team for a second year player. But also, I know that Zach Lowe pointed this out after game one was the fact that Pop tried to stagger LaMarcus and DeRozan's minutes, so he wanted to make sure they had he had one of those two players on the floor at all times. Well, then maybe now you got to have that approach with uh, DeRozan and Derek White in terms of ball handling, so that way you have one of those two guys on the floor at all times, so kind of stagger their minutes a little bit. Now, Aldridge only played, um, no, yeah, DeRozan only played 32 himself, so him, him and he and, um, and, and Derek played around the same amount of minutes, 32 each. So, so I wonder if, if maybe you can increase both of their minutes. That way you don't have lineups out there with, with so much Patty Mills and, and Marco Bellinelli next to each other. And then also just nobody who can kind of penetrate and organize the offense uh, on, on, the, on those ends. And then, of course, you know, the defense is kind of just, you know, that's what it is without Derek. They, they're really going to struggle. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh, I, I was really, I mean, it was really cool to see that Rudy Gay did take responsibility. You know, he basically came yeah. out to the media yesterday and, and he owned it. He said, you know, I had a terrible game. Uh, he basically said that he won't have a game. You know, he's going he's gonna to work his best to not have a game like that. And that's obviously what was one of my big takeaways was the fact that, like, last night, Denver had, like, a big four, like I mentioned, four guys who got over 20 points. And here were the Spurs with just Derek White, DeRozan, and Aldridge. And who was that fourth scorer? Who was that fourth playmaker? It's typically Rudy Gay, but on this night it wasn't. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And I like seeing that as well, just because. And really, I mean, it's a long series, and something happen. It's gonna, you're gonna have. I mean, look at look at Murray. 
uh, if he if he had uh, hung his head after that first game, or even this game, and if he had just kind of given up. And so it's it's just one of those things that happens. To uh, playoffs are a different beast altogether, and uh, I'm sure he'll be fine coming back. And um, you know, so we'll so we'll see how how he does for sure. But um, it's definitely gonna make this I think for much more interesting. Uh, just to see how they come out on. Uh, what is it tomorrow? Is, is the next Thursday? Season? Yeah, Thursday yeah, is I mean, game three. I, I feel like even through these two games, I don't have a really a great handle on what's going to happen for the rest of the series now. Yeah, no, for sure, and that's how that's how I am too. I mean, it's almost like, like a pendulum. Like at one point, Denver, I mean, San Antonio looks like the best team in the series, and you don't even think they're a seventh seed. But then at other points, it's like Denver, like they just look unstoppable at times, and it's just a weird series. And you know, that's basically how the playoffs are, and that's why at the end of the day, there's going to be one team that's going to win this series, whether you know we don't know how many games it's going to be. Um, yeah, so 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 game so game three tips off Thursday night in San Antonio. Now the move the the, the series moves there. Uh, we'll see. You know what happens with the Spurs. You know you know what is Coach Pop focused on on the defensive end. Uh, you know something I forgot to mention was in the fourth quarter when the Spurs only scored twenty three points on offense. Denver started trapping a lot more of their pick and roll action. I guess trying to uh, trying to get the ball out of DeRozan's hands or just kind of just you know just really uh, uh, making other players try try to make, make uh, score and try to try to make create plays for San Antonio. So I, I think that might be something to watch too because they had like Jokic and they had like like Plumlee coming out pretty far on, on those pick and rolls. So again, again, I think that's something to watch if, if you're San Antonio on offense for Game Three. All right, uh, thank you, Mike, for joining me for SpursCast, episode 538. SpursCast listeners, uh, make sure you're checking out ProjectSpurs.com. We have all of our, our, our playoff um, you know, pieces up there uh, following each game. Um, also, uh, thanks again to Mike for, for, for mixing and producing this episode. For Michael DeLeon, I'm Paul Garcia. Thank you. Have a great day. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.